Hello there. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Coffee with a Christian is an organization that believes that everyone is deeply loved by God in spite of our shortcomings and failures, and that by trusting in Christ's death on the cross and resurrection, anyone can be renewed through God's love. For this month's podcast, I'd like to present you with a brief conversation that I had with the Virginia State Director for American Atheists. Just an FYI, this is not a debate. I was really just trying to get to know him. There are probably a few times that it might have been good for me to push back on his views, but maybe not. I mean, if you're just trying to get to know someone, it's not a good idea to challenge them at every point where you disagree. To this end, I hope that this conversation can serve as a soft model for how to listen and engage and find common ground with someone, even if you disagree with them on a number of core issues. Regardless, I really enjoyed our conversation. We agreed on far more issues than not, and, God willing, he'll join me on the show again soon, so we can engage in a bit more depth on a few topics. Also, like the previous episode, this one went a little long, but, as before, go ahead and adjust the speed on your player if you're not comfortable with a longer conversation. And one final note, there is a little bit of explicit content in this episode, just a little bit of foul language. With all that said, on with the show. Name's Larry Mendoza, thanks for having me. Of this is a, a fantastic opportunity to have a discussion, um, and I think after our uh, lunch together, I think that this will make for a more interesting and, and productive discussion than we usually uh, have either online or, or with people that we don't necessarily, or not necessarily disagree on, but that we don't, uh, that we assume have certain beliefs. Yeah. Um, so thanks for giving me this opportunity to sort of uh, give my views on things. Uh, I'm uh, the Virginia State Director for American Atheists, and it's a volunteer position, as many things that I do are mostly volunteer. I tell people I have five jobs, but I only get paid by one of them. Um, and, and one of the jobs that I have is, uh, you know, I'm a husband and, and I take care of, uh, you know, my wife's kids who are actually now no longer kids. They're adults. They've grown up. And one of them even has a kid of her own Oh wow! who lives with us. So I'm helping raising a two-year-old right now going on 45, I think. So that's one of my jobs. But I'm also the Virginia State Director, and I sort of try to organize other activists around the state, and we try to, uh, you know, address issues both at the state and local level, which is, I think, where the importance is right now is to address issues at the local level, meaning your school board, your uh, city council, your board of supervisors, whatever it may Mm -hmm. be, things like that. And we got a few, and everybody kind of picks their pet project and kind of goes with it. And we sort of then work with American Atheists who provides us with some funding, um, but training and and guidance and things like that. So um, so that's the atheist activism part mostly uh, falls under American Atheists. But I also am, uh, I am the chair of the Regulatory Affairs Committee for the Virginia Herpetological Society, which is a society that focuses on the study of uh, Virginia's reptiles and amphibians. I have about 40 snakes at home, Cool. Uh, everything from cobras to pythons to ball pythons, things like that. Um, I do a lot of educational outreach uh, hmm. with the Virginia Herp Society. So I, I go out and I educate people, and I've done everything from preschool to master's level guests speaking on this type of stuff. So, and mostly I do things like public talks. Uh, I go to nature centers, I go to the Boy Scouts, things like that. And I bring a lot of my snakes and we have, you know, so again, 
So that's my another job. My paying job is I am the laboratory and hazardous waste manager at Virginia Commonwealth University, laboratory safety manager or officer and hazardous waste manager at Virginia Commonwealth University. And I basically for, manage our safety. For all of the university? The entire university. And I also support part of the hazardous waste of the hospital and also things like emergency response and things like that. Yeah. So wow. I, I have that's a team really of four cool. and that's what we do. Of course, I have a team of four, but we're within a larger department. Mm. So yeah, that's, so that's my paying job. COVID has been a <laughs> extremely interesting time for my career, as well as anybody else who's in my field. It's, it's been an interesting journey so far, but I have a master's in biology. Uh, what else can I say? I, uh, yeah, uh, I studied malaria. That's where I got my master's from. I'm a big fan of science. I love it. It's, nice. it's one of the best ways to understand, uh, our world in my opinion, you know, but it's got flaws, you know, uh, like everything else, but it's got self-correcting flaws, which hmm. is good. So, you know, but that's me in a nutshell. Cool. Love fishing, metal music. I don't know. What else? <laughs> Tell me about uh, your, I don't know, I guess family of origin is a, a oh. popular phrase these days. Where, where'd you grow up? You know, were your parents like, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure, sure. So I grew up in Italy. I was born in Sicily in a city called Catania, which uh, some people may recognize because it is one of the big American air bases is located there. Catania, Sicily, um, and the air base is Sigonella Air Base in, mm -hmm. in Sicily. And my dad is Filipino. And as many Filipinos back then and even now joined the American Navy, uh, my dad was actually in Vietnam and did the whole thing, but then was stationed in Sicily in the, you know, mid, early to mid seventies and was stationed there in, in Signal Air Base and met my mom, who is a full-blooded Sicilian woman. They got married in 75. I was born in 76 and my brother was born in 81. So we lived in Italy for about, well, in the first couple years after I was born, we were in Sicily and then we moved to Naples, which is another military, American military uh, base in Naples. And I lived in Naples until I was about 13 or so and moved to this country in, I believe it was 1989. But I've been to American schools my whole life because my dad put me into American schools on military, American military base in Naples. So I am bilingual and English is a second language, I, hmm. but I learned it when I was like five. Okay. And then grew up speaking both Italian and English at the same time. I was going to say, like, I can barely understand you right. through your thick Italian accent. I know. So, I know. It's maybe, very thick. If you could work on that, just for the guests at home. <laughs> right. I'd really appreciate that. What, but... uh, what, what is it uh, you, you are talking about? I don't understand. My, now my mom, she has one hell of a thick Italian accent. Yeah. Uh, my dad speaks, you know, he's, he still has an accent, but it's not as bad. But my dad speaks Tagalog, English, and Italian. Oh, well. And my mom speaks now English, which was tough for her to learn because she came here as an immigrant, never been outside of Italy before, and came here and had to basically learn the language, you know, get accustomed to a completely different culture. So, you know, she's an immigrant of another immigrant. Hmm. who, which is my dad, because he's Filipino. He was born in the Philippines and had to come here. But he came here through joining the American military and fighting 
for this country. So, hmm. you know, I come from a, an, a very interesting multicultural background, uh, which I think to me gives me an interesting perspective on the way things are seen in this country um, on various issues. I think only because I've been, I've been lucky enough to, to experience a lot of different cultures and viewpoints and, and, and things like that. So, you know, growing up, it was, you know, I tell people I grew up on rice and, and pasta, you know, yeah. and so it was the norm for me. It was normal. It's a I, lot of carbs. Uh, yeah, a lot of carbs. I, you can't tell. No, no. Uh, and unfortunately, I never got, well, we, you know, my, both my mom and my dad and everybody on their side of the family are generally just, I just, we just got the skinny gene. <laughs> it's like crazy. Like I can eat whatever I want. I can drink whatever I want. I have not, I've gained maybe five to 10 pounds since I was a senior in high school. I feel like you won the genetic lottery. Yeah, I think, I think so. Well, we'll see what. We do have a lot of cancer, and we do have a lot of uh, you know other issues, heart well, maybe disease. Not. Maybe not. <laughs> but you know, when it comes to weight issues, at least I think uh, yeah we we've done pretty well. That's good. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, no, it's been it's been an interesting journey uh, mm. from where I came from, and of course, my mom, being Italian, is Catholic, very to this day, very devout. Same with pretty much the rest of my family on my mom's side. My dad's side, also uh, religious, the Filipino side. But interestingly enough, instead of Catholics, they are actually <laughs> the minority in the Philippines, which is they're Methodists, they're hmm. Protestants, so, which is interesting uh, to have you know, a Protestant Filipino dad with a Catholic, well, a Catholic Italian mom is yeah, obviously, kind of duh, right? But yeah, my dad is a Methodist, and his hmm. family's Methodist, and so it's interesting. Uh, so I grew up in Catholic and Methodist circles to some extent. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting kind of cultural journey for me, being in Italy, married to a Filipino, going to Filipino functions, hmm. Italian functions, being normalized in that culture, but also being normalized in sort of American culture, through going to school on military base in Naples, which was interesting. And then, of course, coming here and then uh, being raised American. So, Sunday morning, mm -hmm. you're 12 years old. Mm -hmm. Which church did your parents make you go Catholic. to? <laughs> no surprise. If you thought for one second my dad would have won that fight, <laughs> no, nah, my dad was never, he never enforced any uh, of his religion on me ever. He never talked to me about. Methodism or nothing. He just let my mom, she chose Catholicism. He, he just said, okay. He just never, I don't know if he never cared enough or if he wasn't devout enough to worry about it, but he just said, you know, he let my mom kind of take over our religious upbringing in Italy. And I guess being in Italy too, you know, you can't really find a whole lot of Methodist churches in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe now, but back in the 80s. And they've got some lot. really pretty Catholic churches mm -hmm. in all over Italy. So, Oh, yeah, it does. The artwork and the uh, churches and the cathedrals, I mean, that took, you know, some of these took hundreds of years to build are, are just phenomenal works of it's just the uh, architecture. art architecture. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm like a architecture nerd. I like that. Yeah. I just love the way that it's like, how do you start a building yeah. knowing that you... Your kids probably won't yeah. even see it finished. It's just right. like, that's commitment. It's like, ah. like but yeah. here you are, Wayne. Once you start it. <laughs> <laughs> just keep stacking bricks, right? Yeah. So, 
It's crazy. I mean, they are truly works of wonder and, and commitment. And yeah, they're beautiful buildings. All, and they are all throughout Europe, yeah. uh, not just Italy. But, you know, the greatest thing that I always say Catholicism has ever given to the world has been art and architecture. <laughs> I mean, it's been beautiful, beautiful pieces of art. Yeah. So, um, grew up like somewhat Catholic, somewhat Methodist. Mm -hmm. Well, mostly, mostly, mostly just Catholic. about Catholic. Yeah. I, again, not, not a whole lot of Methodism. Been to just a couple of services, but I am baptized Catholic and mm -hmm. confirmed. Um, so, you know. How did you find yourself um, as an atheist? Oh, well, yeah, so that's an interesting story. So, growing up, you know, I took religion sort of as whatever. It's how I grew up. It's what we do. And I never really thought a whole lot about it. Almost like a cultural identity. Yeah, yeah, total, total. Yeah, I mean, it's just we go to church for Easter and uh, Christmas Eve and Sundays. And, you know, it's a tradition. That's what you do in Italy. It's like Sundays, Easter, and usually it's uh, Christmas Eve, Midnight Mass. It's the big, the big one, right? I never really thought about it. The exception of this, when I was growing up and as beautiful as a lot of Catholic churches are, they also have some pretty, uh, what's the word? Uh, just, really, are, it was, is it the nuns? No, 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 it wasn't really, the nuns. It, it, the it nuns was could be nasty. <laughs> well, well, well uh, you know, I, I've never had an opportunity to be in a situation where I was uh, dealing with nuns uh, at all. So, but I heard stories and I've heard what the Irish nuns used to do in some of these, uh, I can't remember what they were called, but I, they got rid of the last one in like the 90s, I think, when they would said women that were not uh, deemed, you know, or did something, hmm. sex before marriage or something, and they would send them to these like, sort of like slave camps in these convents, and wow. it was horrible. Yeah, there's a movie that was done about it, but the last one finally closed, like I think as late as the 90s, which is insane to me, but anyway. Yeah. For me, the scariest thing about church was the depiction of Jesus because the art is so good that there's these lifelike human size. Jesus is on a cross, right, with his arm extended out, but they made it very bloody and very realistic with his eyes open. So no matter where you stood, his eyes were following you. That's the mm -hmm. optical illusion. And so as a young kid, that scared the crap out of me. I, I would go to bed at night, literally with my covers over my head going, I hope Jesus doesn't visit me. I hope Jesus doesn't visit me, you know, because it's literally <laughs> that depiction just scared the crap out of me. So, you know, just, but I just never processed it. Like, okay, you know, it's just my mind. I'm just making this up. I was just literally scared because I was a little kid. But as I grew up, I got interested in biology kind of fairly early on, and especially things like reptiles and dinosaurs, you know, that kind of thing. And if we talk about dinosaurs and we look at what we know about dinosaurs now, and as I started going through my academic uh, pathway, I started realizing that there's a lot of stuff that is not really making sense that is in the Bible primarily the age of the earth and the whole creation story and things like that. Even though I also knew that Catholics accept mostly the scientific worldview of, you know, evolution and things like that. They just, you know, have a 
justification for it and a guided path and, you know, God and all that. But it still didn't make sense. And then, you know, what really turned me... So my transition is into, you know, being a Catholic and doing whatever I did. And then sort of when I started questioning, so I became sort of like, huh, that was in my probably early early 20s. And I primarily it was primed by a um, an ex-girlfriend of mine who was about eight years older than me. I was 20, she was 28, and she was in a master's program and hmm. she was studying theory, uh, reading a lot of, uh, you know, people like Marx and Foucault and, and Freud and, you know, all the yeah. big thinkers of like, you know, recent 20th century and stuff. And she started talking to me about things and I would play devil's advocate, but I think that a lot of what she was saying, all of a sudden I started thinking, you know, hmm, this is starting to make a little bit of sense. And so, but it wasn't really getting into the biology field and then really seeing the politicization of religion into the science classrooms. Uh, when we started having like Dover, Pennsylvania Dover case of when we're trying to interject intelligent design and in biology class, that's when I really started to, I guess, realize how religion is being used. And that's when I sort of became, it drove me to even more of a, of a I guess that's what drove me to being an activist. Hmm. But I had already started not believing much or losing faith, as you would call it, in my early 20s as I started really seeing things of my own and connecting dots. Yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. In your, my early 20s, at the beginning of my college career is what I would say is when I really became more of an atheist and, and now to where I am today. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's you know, actually somewhat very normal for just like a lot of uh, American students who are going to university in general, right? Yeah. Where I feel like they just accept a lot of things that were taught to them in grade school and then just kind of like as they approach more and more scientific literature, it's kind of like, wait a minute, like I've got to reject... Yeah. a lot of these other beliefs that I had prior right. in order to get where right. I need to go in terms of like evolutionary theory yeah. or uh, the age of the earth and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that at that point, if this is wrong, then what else is wrong? And, and I think that any, any Christian or any, any religious person uh, who has the predisposition to be able to critically analyze things, in my opinion. I think that when you start questioning things, you know, it's, it's where we see a lot of, you know, people deconverting from religion. You know, I've seen this happen a few times, but then you got people that have alternative explanations and they rationalize things in their head. And, you know, it is, it is what it is. But yeah, usually college, you know, education, science is where a lot of people start to see inconsistencies with their worldviews. And, and college exposes you to a lot of different, well, depending where. It used to. Well, yeah. It used depending to, and it, it also depends where, yeah. right? If you come to VCU, for example, we're in an extremely diverse university where you will be exposed to a lot of different, and I'm not talking about just being around people mm -hmm. who are different. We have an extremely diverse, um, you know, student body, and it's, which is great. Because it allows people to start to understand different cultures, beliefs, ways of life. 
And I think that's part of the reason why college also is responsible for people moving out of these belief systems that they came from, no matter what they are. And sometimes not. But, you know, if somebody's honest with themselves and they're, you know, they make decisions and choices, I think, and they choose what or why they believe and how they arrive at certain beliefs, and which is, I think, the how is the most important part. Hmm. How do you arrive at what you believe? Like, how, what path? And, and was it a rational path? And if you can answer those questions, then, in my opinion, I think that's where people then arrive to atheism or, you know, to a different way of thinking. And that may be defaulted to atheism, depending on what it is. that. And some people go through sort of stages, right? Yeah. Uh, they go through maybe boot, you know, they, they try to experience, well, you know, man, so, so evangelism didn't work for me. Let me see what, 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 you know, uh, I don't know, Methodism offers. Oh man, that didn't work for me. Let me see what Buddhism offers, you know, and some people go even a, a crazy, you know, route to Islam. They try Islam yeah. for a while. They, then they go into some of the Easter, East, a lot of the crazy Eastern train of thoughts. You know? Crystals, that can get kind of weird. Yeah, and then you crystals. get the ones that are getting into like crystals and, and auras and the, the spiritual sort of neo-pagan, I guess. I don't know what you want to call yeah. it, but it is what it is. But at the end of the day, it's about this. Hey, believe what you want. Yeah. Just, I don't want to necessarily be part of it. <laughs> so it, that's where we come across a lot of problems i think in our politics because of this very very issue at what point am i forced to believe what you believe at what point are you forced to accept you know what i believe and how do we move forward with that yeah yeah kind of when when faith interacts with like the public sphere yeah right or uh, certain rights are are these rights fundamental or are these rights something that we're just kind of like saying well i want it now so yeah. you know education i think is one of those things where it's like well if it's you know, public education, it's got to be of a certain quality, of course, right? Sure. But then you oh, have yeah. to, then you've got to be like, well, is, is, is a secular worldview, does it have its own take on spirituality or not, right? If you say there's no spirituality, you know, that's technically a view on spirituality, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, how, how do you manage that? But I don't know. I, I don't want to dig too far di sure. deep into the weeds on that. Yeah. Um, exactly. <laughs> we'll be here till next week. Yeah, yeah. How much time do you have? No, no. But... Uh, but uh, I, I think maybe a more poignant question sure. would be, you've interacted with people that have faith and religious yeah. beliefs. What do you think are some of the most common misconceptions that believers have of atheists? Well, that's a very great, great question. And I think it's a question that is not easily answered in a couple sentences, okay? Because everybody is different. And I think yeah. things are changing now as well. So historically, at least for me, in my experience, and it depends on the type of believer, right? It depends on, because I've met believers who have been hanging out with atheists their whole life and they, they're very good friends. And actually, I even know some people that are married to each other. It's like a, a Christian and, a, and an atheist are actually married and get along extremely well. So, uh, and then you have, of course, those who view atheists as as extreme as like oh you guys are satanists hmm. right which we can get into that in a minute but um <laughs> say, yeah, yeah that, that's actually an interesting concept but you know you know we're satanists and we're evil and, and it's like no because you're putting us into this 
paradigm that you believe in as yeah. it's either you're Christian and anything that is not is now part of the opposition, which is what? In the Christian world, the opposition has always been evil and Satan. And I think that's where a lot of that comes from. It's just that paradigm that they have in their head is what they've been taught. It's either you're godlike or it's the devil making you things, hmm. uh, do things. And so you got those Christians, and I've seen that. And, and then you have those who are like very progressive, but also very religious and who, you know, have come to me, for example, and I've worked with one of these people and we got along wonderfully at work and, mm. you know, we talked a lot and about various things we agreed about 99% of the time on social issues and, and things like that, including controversies like abortion and, and things like that. And, um, but then one day this person asked me so can i ask you a personal question is that work right mm -hmm. and i'm not like oh we don't talk politics or religion at work i don't do that unless it comes up and you're okay with it yeah. then it's whatever you know i don't care but she asked me what my religion was or you know and i said oh uh, i'm an atheist i'm not religious and she was like shocked and uh she was like what and told me and she said well I've never met an atheist before. And I said, no, I'm pretty sure you have. <laughs> I am pretty sure you have. They just didn't necessarily wear it on their sleeves or didn't like, you know, but they're your neighbors or your whatever, you know, clerks, uh, you go to a store and we're, we're people. Uh, we don't wear, you know, well, some of us sometimes wear, you know, atheist thing if we're doing some activism, but we don't generally go out you know, wearing, uh, I, I like jewelry. I wear Nordic mythology stuff. Yeah, I was going to say that it looks yeah. like a Thor's hammer. Yeah, it is. It is. A friend of mine made this. He actually used to reenact Viking Nordic culture stuff. So um, he actually forges and he has cool. a uh, forge and like he a does. forge with like an anvil. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Totally, nice. totally old school. He's, uh, and he's a, uh, like a machinist and he's also a history. He's got a master's in history, I believe. Teaches college at so he made this for me and so i thought it was cool and he made this out of a um it was a uh like a carpenter's uh, nail well yeah it was from uh, the railroads an old okay. school railroad oh, yeah, uh, yeah, nail yeah. spike okay. that's how he made this out of and turned it into a thor's hammer and gave it to me as a gift i was like oh this is so cool nice. so i wear this only because i think it's like you know cool it's cool you know, it it's like cool. a it's like a you know i just like I mean, it's like when my friends yeah. who are like really into like metal. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, they're, yeah. They're totally. like, they're wearing all the yeah. paraphernalia. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know they don't believe in no, like, any it's, of the, yeah, it's just yeah. like, they just really like Slayer. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, exactly. It's like, okay. Are you satanic? No, man. I just, it's Slayer, man. Come on. What's wrong with you? Now let's go ahead and burn a pentagram on it. It's like, it's like, well, you, now you're taking it too far. <laughs> and you know, they yeah. do that for shock value. It's oh, like, sure, sure, sure. Oh, trust me. Oh, yeah. It's oh, like, it's really? like that's the whole point of metal, and it's always been demonized, quote unquote, uh, or no pun intended, but it's always been that it's like counterculture thing. It's like punk rock. You know, yeah. it's, it's every, every genre of music has its own personified ideal, and yeah. ugh. You listen to metal and you're an atheist, oh, you must be a devil worshiper. Well, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah, I am. <laughs> you know, yeah. if that's the label you want to give me, I will accept it and I will go ahead and go balls out on it. <laughs> Which is why, you know, I also 
am a, uh, on the leadership board of, of uh, Satanic Richmond, which is an atheistic secular organization, but we follow, we aren't members of, and we can't speak for the Satanic Temple, which is a national organization, but we follow those tenets. It, but it's more so, it's the symbology of it, the mm. adversary. Mm. You know, Satan was the adversary. So we are the adversary. Adversary to what? Tyranny. And tyrannical rule in general is how. And it makes sense to me. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm against tyrannical rule uh, no matter what. And also, you know, if you're going to be a tyrant, you got to prove your worth if I am to follow you, right? If you're going to (laughs) be a bad tyrant, an evil tyrant, then no. (laughs) And so that's sort of where that symbology comes from. Hmm. And the rebellion against God essentially hmm. is, is, is that. Anyways, I went on a completely different tangent. We ended up yeah, in a, on, a, on, on Satanism when you were asking me. <laughs> I was asking you about misconceptions about atheists. Yeah, and all Somehow of a sudden I'm like, and here I am talking about how we're not Satanists. But here we are, we're Satanists. But we're definitely a little bit. No, ah, you like, thought this was going to be your, your, oh, no. uh, your normal podcast about... Uh, nah, it's, no, no. no, no, no. But yeah, so misconception, yeah, going back to what we really are about... Um, Another point that's interesting is that I just had this conversation with some of the leadership at American Atheists the other day about where should we go as mm. atheists? Like, where do we, what do we do? How are we active? What do we care about? What are our values? Yeah. And, you know, atheists have always had value. And a lot of our values come from, uh, you know, a humanist ethic, right? I'm sure you've heard of humanism yes. and, 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 and that ethic. Actually, and, if you... Sure. Just for people who are listening that maybe mm-hmm. don't know what humanism is, would you be able to give like a just like yeah, a quick, yeah, yeah, quick, like... like just quick in my own words, it's yeah. basically an ethic that revolves on making life ethical decisions about good and bad based on you know reason and science and based on and, and how it benefits people. Okay. So without espousing any sort of supernatural explanations on anything. So we, we at humanists look at, you know, we look at philosophical arguments, but we don't uh, bring in, you know, the supernatural into decisions about what is considered to be right or wrong or, or moral or not moral. Okay. So it's a very hu- human-based mm-hmm. ethic. And that's where we generally, whether we follow humanism or not, whether we go to a humanist a gathering or, or belong to a humanist organization, most people that are not believers in a religion kind of sort of default to this idea that, you know, I'm a good person. What makes me a good person? Well, you know, I treat people the way I'd want to be treated, the golden rule, which is should be, you know, what every religion espouses. But that's sort of a humanist ideal because we want to make sure we are not hurting anyone else. Now, there are atheists who are obviously not part of that and who are actually very um, evil and, and bad in a way and, and certainly and we see that but in we see that anywhere to, you know. to that end there's plenty of Christians that act that way too right exactly right. and that's I'll that's my point to it too, yeah. so. and that's my point is that if you're a bad person mm-hmm. uh, you're gonna be a bad person no matter it doesn't matter and I, and I think it all boils down to your ability to be be able to feel empathy. I think that's where it all boils down. And we can actually even I think that's a big part of it. Look at studies about serial killers and and that's a brain 
neurology issue, uh, in my opinion, as well. Uh, there's a lot of athe- or a lot of uh, serial killers. I mean, that that we've known that they, they just have zero zero empathy. ability. Like they they can't even conceptualize this idea mm-hmm. of empathy. And I think we see that at various levels throughout any demographic, whether it's religious, not religious, whatever you rich, poor. We see these levels of people' ability to be empathetic everywhere we look. Um, so I think that's really, if you are able to have empathy, no matter what you believe, you will be a good person. Now, sometimes you may be misguided. You're, you think you're doing good. And one example I use is, for example, uh, the 9-11 Muslim hijackers, right? They thought in their mind, I think, that they were doing good through their belief systems. And did they lack empathy? I don't know. Uh, you know, Maybe it, they were empathizing with a different people group. A different people right. group, or, or they felt like it was a necessary sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people gave their own lives. Let's not forget, yeah. right? The ultimate sacrifice to a cause, yeah. any cause. I mean, Jesus, right? I mean, you know, ultimate sacrifice was what? Jesus, right? So any cause, if you sacrifice yourself to that cause, you're doing it because you truly believe that's the right thing to do. So that's where I think belief systems also can change what would be good empathetic behavior into what we saw in 9-11 and other examples. I mean, so, and that's where I kind of have criticisms of religion is that it causes people to sometimes act badly even though they believe they're doing it on goodwill or okay. you know so and if you want we can we can talk about that a bit yeah. more but i this is i think a, a little bit of a, a tangent because i had asked yes you were it was talking about um american atheists and uh, that's where i was talking about yes. so thanks yes. for bringing me back because I, 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 I go off on tangents and i carry on because my brain works that way so i apologize but no, 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 um no, no, no. Right, we've we've uh, I think hammered to death our uh, ideas about separation of church and state as as an organization. I think we've done a lot to uh, fight things like the Ten Commandments on court lawns. Okay, that's that's great and all. It's symbolic, but I think maybe we need to be a little bit more uh, substantive. And I think that's where the organization as a whole is going, and that is to to actually fight for equality. And that's where we generally stand as an organization, I think, uh, with American Atheists. It's about fighting for equal rights under the law because atheists are also affected uh, under that. So that's, that's where we are now. We are fighting for equal rights for the LGBTQ community, for, for women, for you know, uh, Black Lives Matter. I mean, that's generally where we, we have stickers uh, that we give out. It uh, says, when equality is under attack, atheists show up, and hmm. we will defend, and we will partner with, you know, LGBTQ communities, uh, Black Lives Matter, Planned Parenthood, whatever. We will support and provide our own whatever needs to be done, whether it's a protest, whether it's letter writing, whether it's speaking at uh, your legislature, whether hmm. it's lobbying, whether it's, uh, you know, that's what we're doing now. That's where American Atheists, I think, is starting to have a lot of impact. And we're doing that through uh, the grassroots level. And we are about, what, I don't know, 60, 70, 100 years behind the religious right on this. So we need have a lot of catching up to do. But that's where we're, we're heading towards. Yeah. All right. And by the way, I'll add, because we were forced to. Meaning, meaning that we were 
there shouldn't need to be an atheist movement. Hmm. This is the, our values and ideals should should be understood in our belief as fundamental, you know, church-state separation issues. We shouldn't have to define ourselves, defend ourselves, but we have to because of the way society has sort of progressed from a very religious, you know, well, we're we're seeing our rights being assaulted uh, from the religious right and the conservative movement and, you know. Would you say that your your rights are being assaulted or perhaps maybe they're kind of coming to fruition? So there's two historical kind of ways to look at it. Where mm-hmm. you've got like, if you look at very early America, it was it was extremely religious, extremely, yeah, and also very racist and very absolutely, one hundred percent, just not not a not a wonderful place um, <laughs> for all. human rights. I mean, I it was. I mean, witch burnings and all. You know, yeah. Oddly it was, enough, it was, though, it was horrible. One of the better places <clears throat> in the world, comparatively speaking, right? Because I mean, I think there is this one leader of this one colony, and he was like too Protestant, and rather than kill him, they were just like, you go over there, and that's how we got the state of like Rhode Island or something like that. It was weird, where they just kind of like, they could do that, yeah. whereas like otherwise they'd just be like, yeah, no, you're dead, and yeah. we're done. So, um, yeah. <laughs> that, that, yeah, yes, 100% correct, this country was founded on very horrible you know, yeah, foundations and and but, and, and but, but these were yeah. But re- even they were, they were yeah. even though they were terrible foundations, right? They were better than even where like the Middle East is today. Or well, you know, like I think Africa, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting concept. I think what the Middle East, you know, I've always thought Islam was a, a few hundred years behind, you know, Christianity when it comes to you know they're like the. They're going through that stage now <laughs> that Christianity was, you know, a few hundred years ago, you know, uh, with the Inquisitions and and the Crusades and all that stuff, which, you know, were pretty horrible things. Yeah. Going after Muslims, by the way, the Crusades, you know, going after them. They saw Islam as a threat, a uh, growing power, and they, and again, it became a power issue of, of control. If it wasn't for the Mongols, they probably right. would have taken all over, yeah. over all of Europe. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so, you know... I think that this country, but we need to understand the context and we need to understand the history of where a lot of our ideals hmm. that we feel are normalized come from, which is this very foundation that was, yes, very religious. Hmm. But let's let's fast forward into the American Revolution and, and our founders mm-hmm. who were also very, I mean, they were scholars of the Enlightenment age of, 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 you know, I mean, just read any Thomas Paine. I mean, you read any Thomas Paine. He wasn't an atheist, but holy crap, did he have some criticisms of religion that are still applicable today. And, you know, you look at Thomas Jefferson, who in Virginia, right here, in a, we're in Richmond, the capital yeah. of Virginia, but Thomas Jefferson, when he thought up this concept of separation of church and state, not because to defend atheists necessarily. He wasn't an atheist either. But to defend, you know, minority Christian religions from majority Christian religions. So when one religion rules over all other religions, whether it is still a Christian, I mean, that's what happened in Europe with, you know, Protestants or with Catholics, there was a, a, a shift. And so I think that, you know, we need to understand the context. So when we say we're a Christian nation, well, 
what does that mean historically and what does that mean today? And what are the results? And, and you got to think about what your, whatever you think being a Christian nation means. How does that apply to today? Are we a Christian nation today or are we not? And if we're not, what would make us a Christian nation? And then we need to see how that applies throughout our historical uh, growth here. Because we see a lot of racist laws, racist government structures, racist economic, racist social norms. Norm being the key word, being normalized in, mm. in what we call the system. And we're seeing the impacts of that normalized systemic racism today. Even well-meaning non-racist people don't quite seem to understand this concept. And I'll give you an example. Today, I posted something about how COVID unproportionately, that's what I'm looking for, improportionally affects black and, and brown people more so than whites. And then I made the comment, which is my conjecture, that that's when Trump decided to not give a crap about COVID anymore when somebody told him that. And the response I got was, oh, you're race baiting. You know, this affects people with predisposed conditions and diabetes. And somebody else, you know, chimed in and said, oh, well, this, you know, it's not race. It has to do with living in dense populations and, and people with poor health care. And I'm like, well, who do you think these people are? Right? Like, where do you think this all stems from? And that's the ignorance I'm seeing today. So, yes, you know, well, um, we need to put all of this within context and understand that the re what we're seeing today is a result of our history, good or bad. And you can, you can see good things about even rel our religious past, but also a lot of bad things. I mean, slavery was condoned by Presbyterian ministers by Protestant ministers in the South, slavery, and they used uh, the Bible to justify it. And Robert Dabney, a, a Presbyterian minister in a civil, and who also joined in the Confederate Army, wrote an entire book about this, a, a literal Old Testament and New Testament defense of slavery. And if you read that book, holy shit, it is eye-opening about how these religious people. Now, well, were they true Christians? Were they not? I don't know. You told me it was a Presbyterian respected minister. He wrote a book defending slavery using the Bible. Well, I mean, I can, I can tell so. you from my own, my own personal beliefs on this. And yeah. well, it's actually looking back at history too. Martin Luther King, you know, he, yep. Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King got his doctorate in theology. He, he addressed this, I believe, um, in his letter from Birmingham, where he was in, in jail, arrested for protesting civil rights. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of ministers reaching out to him saying like, you know, fundamentally, I agree with you, but you're moving too fast, all this kind of other stuff. But I believe that one of his defenses of it was kind of like, you know, people are being taught really bad things. The, the answer to bad theology isn't to get rid of theology, but it's to get good theology, right? They, they need to not read the Bible less, but read the Bible more. And I, I believe, and he believed that fundamentally, you know, the, the dignity of all mankind was enshrined in the Bible, in mm -hmm. the Old and the New Testament. And that uh, as a whole, reading through it, you know, like the overarching message is kind of like there may be instances of slavery and abuse and rape and all sorts of terrible things in there. But 
the movement within the story is towards, you know, kind of this dignity, equality before God that man has. The idea that like people have, are entitled to unalienable rights. Like even like if you're a convicted murderer and you killed a bunch of people, mm -hmm. there are still things that we can't do to you. We don't put you in jail and we don't torture you and we don't kill your family and people that you know and all your loved ones and stuff like that. You are still valuable even as a terrible person mm -hmm. in the eyes of God and like you are, are supposed to be treated justly. And even if that justice means we're gonna we're gonna put you to death. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's done in a without kind of disrespecting the image of God that you sure. were made in. So and this kind of gets into the whole like, I mean, this, I should say it doesn't get into it, but it kind of touches briefly on the idea of what do you think are some of the core values that you said American atheists they fight for equality, equality. and yeah. I think that a lot of people can get behind that, including mm -hmm. a lot of people that I go to church with. Sure, and I mean, I, I personally, you know. I'm all about equality, but yeah. equality can be kind of a squishy word. So maybe so that way I don't take your words out of context. To define it, uh, what, what do you what do you think uh, are fundamental rights for equality, or or what do you think are kind of like the more kind of the more core, deep philosophical ideas behind that? So I'll give you my interpretation uh, or my views on it. But to me, what equality means is based on you know a constitutional concept of just equal rights under law. What's interesting, you brought up, when you brought up Martin Luther King and his views on things, it, as our founders wrote this idea of equal rights and all men are created equal, right? And it had these ideas. They were owning slaves. Yeah. Okay. So you question that, like, you think about that. Well, what do you mean by that? And then you see, you know, where we are today. And you've seen how, yeah, there's been strides, but we're still seeing the kind of sort of the, the, the aftershock of this racist sort of idea. The racist idea. Of that, that all men are created equal with the exception of black people in this hmm. country. Because as these founders were writing these words down, they were owning slaves. How do you, uh, how can you possibly square that circle? Right. Okay. Right. I, I, I get the feeling that they were, let's say, aiming towards something they knew they couldn't hit, as it were. Because hmm. they, they, this is a, an issue that lingered in the background behind even the signing of the Declaration mm -hmm. of Independence that people talked about during the time is like, how can you say equality when you're not, mm -hmm. again, while well, you own slaves? Right. And, you know, if you ignore your problems, they go away, right? Isn't that how it works? Yeah. Or no, they fester and turn into a civil war. <laughs> or something so, like that. Yeah. So, you know, it was like, it was, it was definitely a failing. And I think yeah. that a lot on its face, a lot of people recognized it at the time. But at the same time, it was kind of like on a countrywide basis, you know, I, I think that this is one of the more, it didn't just include black people that were, they were treating like, you know, basically, Dehumanized, mm -hmm. right? Right. You know, it was also Native Americans. Sure. Oh, right? yeah. It was, yeah. Of course. It was all, yeah. It was, well, that's when when we say black and brown. You yeah. know, We include all black and brown, and that's also including uh, natives uh, yeah. who were the first victims in this country of uh, colonialism, obviously. And you know, so you know, I I think that that sort of context though is not stressed enough. And I agree with you that maybe they meant well. 
Uh, however, you know, how well can you mean, you know, because you can make a difference right then and there. Or maybe you couldn't. I don't know. I didn't live in those times. So maybe it was like, oh, God, I hate owning these slaves, but I don't have a choice. Well, I don't know. Do you? Do you? Did you not? I, you know, I didn't live back then, and I'm not... I you think know, the, the uh, South had like different economic motivations than the North. Oh, so, so, yeah, by and large, for the yeah. most part, in the North, there was a concerted movement against slavery, mm -hmm. like a lot of abolitionist movements and thoughts and progressive oh. ideas in that regard. I mean, there were even some in the South, too. I mean, with like John Brown's rebellion, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But at the yeah. same time, it was kind of like England is coming back. Like we won right. for now and we need to figure something else out yeah. in between now and then because they will be back and then... War of 1812. Yeah. Was that prior to the Civil War? Yes, <laughs> that was. You know, that was, was. I mean, they, they so burned the war. So was in the, what, 60, 1860 to 63? I think it was more, 1810 or, or something like that. Or the, Civil War. Oh, Civil no, War. No, Civil yeah. War was uh, in was the late 1800s. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, so, but yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, they, I mean, I, like, I mean but, I, but I get your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They got like, okay, we yeah. need something to just make sure that Spain and, you know, because they were like a mm -hmm. real political power back then. Oh yeah, yeah. And like, yeah. and so was Mexico. Or mm -hmm. actually, no, they weren't. No, they weren't. Uh, they got independence after us. But yeah, they're they're yeah, trying to figure true. out like, okay, we've got Native Americans, we've got, you know, the English who are probably coming back. The French are yeah. going crazy with their own revolution. They got their own, yeah. 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 Um, but they helped us out. You know, they helped the North out. I think. You know. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it. And so there's just yeah. like. Let's yeah. let's find a way to like. I, I mean, but 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 govern. so the question though becomes, you know, what what all is, what does all of this matter? Because this is all history, and we need to understand that history if we're trying to solve the problems of today. Because I think that's exactly where the disconnect is, especially online. Is and I'm guilty of it hmm. um, because when I'm online. I don't have time to educate you on why you're being racist right now. I, I honestly don't. And frankly, it's not my job to do mm. that. And it's not my problem. And it is not black people's problem to no. solve racist issues. It is a white person's problem to learn and understand and see, instead of calling me a race baiter, for example, mm -hmm. when I try to call out what we are seeing as the end result of years of generational poverty, which was directly entrenched with and intersected with racist laws and policies and governments and history and and culture and on and on and on and on. Yeah. And so, so that's where I the problem is, and this is where I think, you know, even as an atheist, my job right now is to, in order for me to pursue this idea of equality, is to educate. Whatever, which however way I can, on you know these these issues, but online and on Facebook or social media is not the right venue because it people just ignore what they want to ignore, choose what they want to choose to to read and listen to. Yeah. This conversation, if we were to have this conversation on social media. It probably would have degenerated quickly into you know. Oh, it would whatever. have ended an hour ago. Yeah. You know what I mean, like. And somebody would be blocked. Yeah. Probably be me. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. I, you don't know my Facebook, man. No. It's an interesting uh, world. I have Trump supporters and Christians and uh, extremely right-wing Second Amendment people all the way to super far-left progressives. 
and I don't censor anyone. All right. Because I believe that, you know, although sometimes I feel like, why am I giving this yeah, the time you know, of day? But, you know, but I don't censor people. I don't believe in that and on I, my Facebook page. And yeah. Well, you know, just personally, I think that like, I mean, online interaction is good and can be fruitful. But for the most part, I found that like one conversation, like the one that we're having right now is worth mm -hmm. 200 interactions sure. that I have online just because... You know, and, and honestly, I feel like the thing that, that online interactions are most useful for, and I, this is almost always in like my text messages, is it's like people will be like talking about stuff. I'll be like, yeah, when do you want to get together? Or, you know, like, I guess like when are we, these days, like when are we going to get on our Zoom call or something like that? It's just, it's like, yeah, it's like, I want to talk to you. Like, I actually want to talk to yeah. you. I don't want to, I don't want to have this like really weird 140 character or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Kind of Which just is like. What? Yeah. People are used to now. It's just a strange, yeah. I, I, I don't use Twitter. I have an account. I yeah. used it maybe, you could probably count on my fingers and toes as many times as I've used it since, you know, I, I don't remember when I had it. But I use Facebook a lot. Hmm. But I do also degenerate on Facebook myself. Hmm. I will just get pissed off and just spout some crap design specifically to... You know, because I'm, it's cathartic to me. And I don't care who reads it, who responds to it. Hmm. I normally don't even look at my responses on, on Facebook, uh, hardly ever. I just usually just post what I want to post and let people read it. And then if somebody wants to respond, they can respond and people can read that response. And, you know, sometimes I respond back, but I don't get into Internet arguments anymore because they're pointless. No. Normally what I do is I'll respond once, maybe twice, and then I just... Forget about it and move on. For my own sanity. Yeah. No, no. I think, I think that's important. Yeah. Like, For my own sanity. Yeah. Because otherwise, again, it will spiral. Now, if we were to have this conversation like we are having, yeah. oh, yeah, you know, let's talk. And, and I think that's, that's... But people are ADD on the internet on their next thing. But I've got like you know, three screens, right? It's, it's super easy it's for me to get... ADD about stuff yeah. just because it's like, oh, there's a flashing icon over there. Hold on, yeah. what's going on? Um, I got to do that. Wait, um, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it's useful though if you've got like an Excel sure. sheet and you're. Oh, trust me, I, trust me, I know. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm there as well. With, well th that said, though, um, I, I kind of wanted to. I don't know if you want to talk about this. You, you touched on the. You've touched on racism. Mm -hmm. I think like th three or four times now. Yeah, it, it's sort and, of like sticking at the top of my head right now. So I'm using that as sort of yeah. So as like there are two definitions of racism. I feel like main primary ones floating out around right mm -hmm. now. And so the first one is if you treat someone differently because of the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. And then the second one that's gaining popularity is kind of more espoused. By I think Robin D'Angelo is probably the one who's most famous for it at this point. But it, exercising, I would say, power over another group of people due to race. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think the two are necessarily mutually exclusive. You know, I think racism is. I think a lot of what we see as racist, like you know, be, yeah, people say. Well, it's not racism. It's more like, uh, you know, stereotyping and, and uh, you know, hmm. it's not racist, but it's stereotyping. I'm like, well, okay, well, what's the difference? I mean, if you, 
you know, but I think this is something that a lot of white people are struggling with, I think, in my opinion. Well, not just white people, everybody's struggling with this idea of what really is racism. It is what you may not see as racist because you are part of a demographic that is not impacted by racism. That's where I think the disconnect is happening. So, because well, uh, but let me let me elaborate a minute, uh, and then uh, well, actually, maybe before yeah. we should sure okay before we get into this, we should also clarify this is like two non white people talking about this. This is two brown people talking about this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just um, yeah, just putting that out there. You white people out there, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, right? Yeah, and, and I'm half white. Sure, I sure, sure, sure. Well, I guess I don't know. Are Sicilian whites? I don't know. It's a, the, the age-old question, you know. Mm. Um, uh, but anyways, yeah. So when you're not impacted by, and don't get me wrong, there are some, you know, people of color who are living a very privileged life, mm. um, even today. But we're not talking about individuals. We're talking about people as a whole and our historical, the history of where we came from to where we are today. Hmm. But what we see as like white privilege, for example, is people who live in you know, their bubble, who are not aware or don't live or don't understand because of experience, hmm. how other people who live within a racist environment, and I'm not talking about races as is you walk down the street and you get beat up by a cop, although that's certainly part of it, but it's not just that. Mm. It's generational poverty, for example. Systematic opportunities that started from uh, wealth in the white landowner community that have persisted through time. Like redlining yeah. in uh, cities. All, I mean, yeah, and, and well, that is, again, another yeah. result and it's just the wealth started with the rich white landowners and it has remained for the most part within rich white landowners today with exceptions with some breakthroughs with some you know yeah. movements but overall the system in it in its entirety the people that benefit as a demographic as a unit not necessarily individual people as there are outliers in any statistic or, or, you know, bell curve, but it's been majority the, the, the wealthy. Yeah, the, the, the statistics tell their own story. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, you can, you can give me a few anecdotes here or there, but yeah. I, I mean, you know, part. yeah, but if you look at, but that's the thing, anecdotes are great if they tell the story of what's really happening and it fits in with the numbers. Yeah. But otherwise, anecdotes are nothing more than your own personal experience. It's, it's no different in saying, well, I have a black friend, so I'm not racist. <laughs> or even, even further, I'm married to a, a black person, so I can't be racist. No, bullshit. You can be, even if you are married to somebody, in my opinion, um, because of some of the things you're doing, you know, or, or behave or say or whatever. So I, I think that I would, in my, I would say, more conservative beliefs would tend to disagree. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, and I would say that I think that like all crimes or things that people do that are wrong, that there needs to be intent be behind mm -hmm. racism. F for example, like, you know, if you are driving your car in, at night and somebody who's like wearing, you know, literally all black walks in front of you and you sure. like hit them, you kill them, it's third degree manslaughter, sure. right? 
you know, yeah, was, uh, yeah. yeah, like I killed a person. I didn't mean to, sure. I had no intents. This right. really, you know, I'd take it back if I could. Gotcha. I'm so sorry. Right. But like, if you, if you're like plotting and scheming to like, you know, murder someone, it's like, yeah, that's murder in the first degree. Sure. And you, you get different penalties for both. Right. And so what I, I worry about is people who go around saying like, that person is a racist. And I'm thinking to myself, labeling someone a racist, you're, you're saying that they've done third degree racism. Mm. Maybe they are, they're just ignorant. So, or... right, exactly. So, I mean, I think that goes, boils down to this idea of what do we mean by structural uh, and institutional racism? Yeah. Because, and, and let me give you, I guess the only way I can maybe explain it is with the all cops are bad movement, the ACAB movement, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, what we've been seeing here in Richmond over the last uh, couple of months um, and the, the protesting and people saying that all cops are bad and defund the police. And I've, I've gotten into a lot of discussions with progressives and conservatives over this. And a lot of progressives are like, that's a bad slogan. We can't defund the police. And all, not all cops are bad. Some are good people. And I, I agree with that. I am friends with a Richmond cop. He's a friend of mine. Yeah. We're, you know. But when I started looking into what we mean or what Black Lives Matter even uh, means is that, well, in the South, and this is a historical fact, the sheriff departments and the police departments all essentially were born out of the slave catcher movement. So fundamentally, at its very foundation, just like everything else in this country, it grew from that root into what it is today. And when we see what we're seeing today, it's like, see, we told you. And, and so that's where it's not individual people hmm. who are bad or evil or intent. Which, of course, we also see that as there well. There are people that are like that. In the, in the police. No doubt. Yeah, like, there are KKK members infiltrating the police departments. That happens. But that there is are bad, true. And, and there are but, bad people in every profession. Yeah, well, that, again, right. but, but, but again, it's, it's this idea, it. though, that the institution itself, even though well-meaning, it's like saying our military is bad. Why? Because we do bad things across the world. Well, does that make every single soldier bad? Not individually, but they're part of a bad system. And that's really where a lot of this comes from, is this idea that saying like, well, not all slave catchers are bad. Some were good people, but that's what was normal. And that's what they did. And they brought the slaves back, but they could be like, man, you know, maybe this is a bad career choice, you know, whatever. But that's where it all stems from. And when I understood that, because again, I didn't understand that until I read up. And I literally, I checked. I'm like, holy crap. The Southern police force was literally born out of the slave catcher, the slave catchers of the 1800s. And it's like, man, okay. So when you apply that and you see, it's but in the Southern states and even in, in other states, but when you see how, you know, black people are, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 times more likely to be arrested for minor marijuana charges than white people when they both are smoking at the same rate across yeah. all uh, economic classes, 
Okay, then you start to wonder. You gotta make. You gotta interpret this data. Yeah. How do you interpret this data? Well, when especially when you put it within historical context, you can only come to a very simple conclusion that the system is designed in a racist way. Um, I mean, what else, right? It doesn't make the officer necessarily a racist and a bad person, but he is following the law of a system, and it's that law and that system that makes that cop, and you know the the you know the 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 person that uh, continues to perpetuate and, and that. Also, for for those of you who are listening, Larry and I actually briefly discussed this earlier. And we, we I, just to give a little bit of historical context for marijuana laws, yeah. on their face, even Nixon na- nakedly said that yeah. these laws were put in place so that he could control the black and the leftist movement within the country. And, and even before that. And even before yeah. that, if you look into William Randolph Hearst yeah. and his you know, efforts to get this uh, yeah. say substance criminalized, then, yeah, do your own history. Don't believe yeah. us. Yeah, check it. Check, check it. Read. I mean, it's it's there. It's there. It's it's it's, there. it's 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 a fact. And historically, this is what marijuana. I mean, it's a historically very viable, viable you, fact. So yeah. the idea that this item would be policed more it's you know, among black and brown communities than it is among white communities, you have to look at that and you got to say yeah. why. Why? Right. I would challenge and say that it isn't necessarily because of you know, the police department is racist or because this officer is racist, that, that they're being over-policed. I think that our, the policing problem in America, I mean, like part of it may be racism. I, I suspect the larger part of the policing problem in America is oversight and the, the court system that we have well, in general. Sure. I mean, but again, we talk about but, the system, yes. not any single necessary component of it, but when you, it all seems to be working in tandem you know the the you know because what you got to understand yeah. that there's inherent with with the way you're taught things growing up you you start to develop your everybody and this is something we none of us escape is we start to develop inherent stereotypes even though we may not realize we're stereotyping we do it all the time i do it and sometimes I catch myself I'm like, ah. Well, you know. I mean, you're you're, so, you're a biologist, right? Right. So, like, you would ex- actually expect those kinds of circuits to evolve into your brain if you're trying to build shortcuts for your mind. Right. To deal and, with And, and that's exactly what happens. Can, our cognitive biases. Yeah. Our, our stereotypes, cognitive biases. And so what happens, though, is that when you're taught a certain way, yeah, mm-hmm. when you see a black man late at night wearing a hoodie, you cross the street. But if you see a white person jogging, you don't. So that does that mean that either one of those people are bad or good necessarily? No, but that stereotype subconsciously, because you're just like, I don't want to get mugged, and your self-preservation, because you already believe that so, a, a, a yeah. black person at night wearing a hoodie, kind of just hunk, you know, hands in pocket walking towards you is all automatically a sketchy, bad, evil-looking character that's could potentially rob you. Well, just from like a biological perspective, right? You, you'd yeah. expect, well, that's a, that's a threat detection module yes. going off. Yes, right? so that's and what happens. Just, yeah. You know, and that's exactly what happens when you're conditioned in mm-hmm. a certain way because you don't see this type of behavior, say, in Africa, hmm. right? Yep. Because over there, 
Maybe it's the opposite over there. You see a white person walking on the street. <laughs> you know, South Africa especially, right? So, I mean, you know, but again, it has to do with our inherent cognitive biases and stereotypes. That, we, that these are learned. These are not, you know, we have a shortcut to detect dangers, but that shortcut and what you consider danger sometimes, or not the shortcut, but what you consider danger is sometimes in many cases learned. I'll give you an example with something that has nothing to do with race, but with snakes. I love snakes, but most people out there, they see a snake and it, it, it dings that, oh, danger, got to kill it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I got to kill the snake. I just want to say, but when you educate people on snakes, that tends to go away. If you don't have a phobia and some people have phobias, but some people have phobias about anything and you can't really, that's hard to overcome because phobias are by definition irrational. But if you're a rational person and you start to get educated on what maybe that snake or that spider, whatever it is no longer, is not really a threat. And it's actually part of your natural environment. And it's, you know, yes, can it hurt you? Sure. But so can any human being, regardless of race or color or belief. Anyone can hurt you. But when you start to apply only if, if certain looks or colors or, you know. When you get married, right, yeah. to that kind of like, you know, that looks dangerous. Exactly. You but, know, but, I don't, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah. Therefore, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, and it's... so there's, that's where a lot of these inherent biases mm -hmm. are happening. I think we're seeing that also in, in our policing. And so, it, so when we say that all cops are bad or defund the police, going back to that, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with this whole structural problem, not individual problem, but like every ant in a colony. The goal is to perpetuate the end goals of the colony. Yeah. in the system. In my opinion, that's where we need to really have a conversation about in this country because so, most people don't even realize that that's even can't comprehend this concept. Hmm. Because again, of when we call it, when we say white privilege, right? It's where how they have been raised and born and they don't see they see a different reality. That's what I say like in yeah. the internet, everybody lives in their own reality on the internet. But if you step out of that and you look at, I think, from the top down, you see everything that's going on, how everything kind of, that's what I call being woke, you know, is really all about making connections, seeing what's happening, putting it within a historical context and seeing how the results of our history have been perpetuating basically a, an inequity inequality problem in this country that we are seeing today, not just in the police and the justice system, but we're seeing it in our educational system. We're seeing it in our cultural system. We see it with socioeconomic issues with wealth and, and things like that with, of course, minor strides made here and there and wealth, you know, but we see this not just with the black. We see it with women. We see it with immigrants. We see it everywhere. It's almost as if, if you're not a Christian white male, it's, it's like you're going to have to climb an extra few rungs in life. And not just an extra few rungs, you might have to climb insurmountable mountains to get to where people that are privileged get just to. Just have a normal life. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I think, in my views, in my 
definition is the crux of the problem that we see. And this is also where equality issues really come in for me. It's not just because atheists fall within that realm as well, where we're looked at as a minority that is not trusted, you know, up until recently. And it's changing. Demographics are changing. Yeah. Yeah. But there was a time in, in, you know, 10 years ago where people, and this is post 9-11, people would trust a Muslim president over an atheist president, you know, at the time when we had super anti-Islam sentiment yeah. uh, right after 9-11. You know, we were actually less trusted than Muslims. Hmm. Or we would be put in the same category as Muslims as like basically just complete evil. I mean, it's like, but we, we criticize Islam too. You know, it's like, we don't, oh, we're not, we don't like that either. You know, it's like, oh, geez. So anyways, you know, but, but most, a lot of people do take that, that God is right. Therefore, uh, you know, and we take it to an extreme like the 9-11, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. who believe also that God uh, was on their side or with abortion clinic bombers who believe God is on their side and they're doing everything they can to stop the murder because that's the faith, their faith tells them it, they, they believe it in their heart. And so that's where, yeah, to me that is interesting because at what point, you know, in your own mind, do yeah. you, and I think that's where a lot of, I, I think a lot of people who start to move away from religion, and, uh, but yeah. Well, this would probably be its own good podcast. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> oh, totally, totally. All right, so... But um, we can continue on. Uh, right. Yeah, the... the so right. with regards um, right. to... Yeah. to we, were, we were talking about freedom. Yes. I Equality, think it, equity, yeah. So American atheists, yeah. you know, they you, believe yeah, yes. in that it's, it's their... Part of their mission right now is to, to push for equality. And so my, my thoughts on that are kind yeah. of equality for it it sounds like it's kind of like for freedoms if 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 i'm not mistaken right um, uh, yeah i mean just equity and equality under the law where everyone is treated equally and that also so, in the idea of sticking with the foundational values of we believe the only way that can happen is by having a secular government so that it doesn't get biased towards which is i think this is where the crux of what you want to, what you're saying, but but a secular government doesn't get, doesn't give uh, religion more rights than than the non-religious, and we're not forced to follow religious tenets, and where we are not making laws based on religious beliefs, but on sound science. If the science and the beliefs match, okay. So you know, I, but yeah, you know, but if they don't, we should go with the science, uh, and that's where. We, you know, so, so in things like right to gay marriage, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of conservatives, a lot of social Christian conservatives are against it. Well, you know, because it's against, the only reason is because it's against the religion. Now, we're not saying, you know, and same thing with abortion. It's not where we stand and why we believe we're correct under the secular separation of church and state is that we're not infringing on anyone's uh, belief. To believe what they believe. We're not saying that your beliefs are wrong. Uh, maybe some of us are, but not from a political perspective. What we're saying is everyone has a right to believe what they want to believe and live how they want to live. So if you are going to tell us through 
law or through policy that I cannot marry who I want to marry or sleep with who I want to sleep with or love who I want to love because of your religious beliefs, then we have a big problem with that. So, so yeah. to, to that end, I think that mm-hmm. most Christians that I, I've encountered would, would say that the Bible says that uh, homosexuality is a sin, mm-hmm. and, and it is in the Bible. Like mm-hmm. to, to try and pretend that it's not there, mm-hmm. I think is disingenuous, right? Okay. That said, yeah. a, a lot of Christians would say that, that they know it's there, they don't necessarily like it. They mm-hmm. disagree with God, but like they're going to trust God on it. Mm-hmm. But at that to that same end, though, they'll say like, "I'm not necessarily going to tell you not to live your life that way, mm-hmm. but I can't vote for your right to live that way, like on moral grounds, unless mm-hmm. they're libertarian and they just don't want the government getting involved yeah. with marriage." Period. Well, which is right. which yeah. I'm totally yeah. on board with. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well you know, and that's the thing. Um, and I have come across both types of Christians yeah. in my in my life. Um, you know, but that's again, uh, that's at the very crux of our, um, you know, when when you look at an idea and you drill it down to its very foundation, you know, that's uh, the. It's like the discussion we were having on abortion. At what point is life life, and at what mm-hmm. point where is the line, and and where do we draw this distinction between, you know, right to and right of or right from yeah. and. And maybe there isn't necessarily a philosophically correct answer uh, on any side, maybe. But from a pragmatic standpoint, I think the safest ground to stand on is to choose the side that allows everyone to choose how they want to live. So if you do not want to uh, or, or support or go to uh, a gay marriage, then you don't. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be, we're not sh- trying to shove it down your throat, just like, uh, that's fine, that's you, that's your culture, that's your life, right? Well, the yeah. problem was with, I think got a lot of Christians angry, was, you? did you hear about the, the wedding cake? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Or it was yeah. kind of like they went to nine different bakers, right, until they found one that wouldn't make a gay wedding cake, and then they sued them, and it was kind of like this big thing, and it's just, you know, that, that when you get to that point, you're kind of like, uh, I feel yeah. like now... I mean, I don't know what the story was. I don't, I've never heard of them, like, searching for the one person they could sue. I did not hear that. I mean, and maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But I don't know. But, um, but, you know, I think certainly that, um, you know, wedding cakes are a distraction to me. Where, where that issue becomes more important is healthcare. Hmm. So you go to a doctor now, say, the only specialist that... Uh, you can go to for whatever yeah. reason, but that doctor now has beliefs that would prevent that doctor from fulfilling his duties as a doctor. That I think is more. Imp- that to me is what's worth talking about than the wedding cake uh, distraction. Well, okay. You know. No, I think this is important because it's yeah. like. I spoke with a, a gentleman who worked as a pharmacist, mm-hmm. and he was uh, very, very pro-life. And actually, when people would, and like he, he's retired now, but in the early 90s, when people would go to bring him like a prescription, because back then they required a prescription for yeah. uh, Plan yeah, B, yeah, sure, sure. He, would, he would say, hey, I don't feel comfortable filling that prescription. And like they would either find another pharmacist on staff or they would go next door because CVS and Walgreens, of course, are always right across the street from each other. Um, and they would get it fulfilled, you know, mm-hmm. no problem. And people would ask him like, why? Like sometimes, and sometimes you get cussed out. 
he would, he would explain why he's like, I think mm-hmm. this is, you know, technically an abortion and I'm, I'm not comfortable doing that. Um, so it's like doctors should be allowed to at the, say, like, I don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. performing this procedure. That said, I think that you're absolutely right. People, you know, one of the first things that God does in the Bible that a lot of Christians would agree with is he gives man, women, uh, the right to choose what they want to do. Mm-hmm. They can, they, that's one of the very first things that, that he does is he says, here's this tree in the garden, don't eat from it. Mm-hmm. What do they do? They eat from it. So clearly he gave them the right to choose and he respected their right, mm-hmm. whether they chose what he wanted them to choose or not. And I think but did that, he though? Because he sort of... There, there were consequences for it. <laughs> right. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, but him being the arbiter but it's of, like, of, of moral and right and wrong, he, he had a choice to make, a moral choice. Well, himself to make. Here's the thing: he, not? Is yeah. he he designed he designed humans, yeah. right? Sure. And so, yeah. he, like a lot of people think, like that the knowledge of good and evil that man ate in the garden is kind of like, well, it's just a piece of fruit, but it represents it, itself. And we can get into like the yeah. symbology of that later, <laughs> right, right, for right. sure, for sure, sure. sure. And that might be a, a whole podcast. Isn't it? Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the idea, though, is it's kind of like okay, God designed this, you know, being, and mm-hmm. he said, hey, don't stick your finger in the light socket right. or you're going to get zapped. Mm-hmm. And then we stuck our finger in the light yeah. socket and he was like, and then we got zapped and we look at him and we blame him. And he's like, dude, I told you not to do that. What's wrong with you? Like, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah. Like, and, and, and the response from me would be, but God but didn't have put, to. Why'd you put it there? <laughs> but why'd you put the light socket in the middle of the garden. And that's actually the, a very like, good question. He's like, I had to plug something into it later. You, all right, whatever. No, mm-hmm. I mean like... But, but, but we're talking about the, the fruit of knowledge. Yeah. Right? Of good and evil. Not of just good knowledge. and evil. Yes. Right. And, yes. and so, why didn't God want Adam and Eve to know about good and evil or, or, not, or you know, whatever? I mean, that's the part that I think is interesting. It's like, why didn't... Why would he create this scenario in the first place i believe that it i i don't know why the scenario was created i don't think anybody does because if you would you would be as omniscient as god no uh, i mean <laughs> you know? we, we can speculate yeah. and there, there are sure. a couple good theories sure. out there okay but fair I, enough i think that like the the main thing of it is it's kind of like to know evil mm-hmm. you've got to know what good is and to know what good is, you have to know evil. And sure. so when you, to acquire the knowledge of the good, you must encounter the evil. And so when yeah. mankind signed up for good knowledge of good and evil, yeah. he signed up for evil yeah. and good. Yeah. But because cause they, the and, two sides of the same coin. And that's exactly the way I think, uh, if we want to take that, that lesson from the Bible, apply to uh, this idea of uh, structural racism, and that's exactly what's happening. In order to know the evil, yeah. or in order to know what's good, you got to know what's evil. Otherwise, you have no idea. And I think that that is where people are living a lot, is this not knowing uh, the evil side, because they just think everything is... Pollyanna. You know, yeah, Pollyanna. So, you know. Again, and that's taking it metaphorically, obviously. Yeah. But 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 uh, but yeah. But in order to you know, fix issues yeah. with in- inequality in the system, yeah. right? What you're trying to say, sure. I right. believe, is that in order to fix the inequalities in the system, 
we actually need to see the inequalities first. Sure. And that's kind 100%. of what people talk about when they say yeah. you need to get woke to these issues. Or yeah, that's whatever. exactly it. I, and I agree yeah. with that 100%. And if we can use biblical stories uh, to <laughs> drive that point home, if that's what works with some people, that's then, what it takes. then that's what works with some people. And then we can sort of, you know, debate about the issues we disagree on, which may be the abortion issues or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, but at the least, we can now, we can come from a common, uh, a similar common historical context into mm. which then debate issues on based off of that. Yeah. I think that's important. And I think that's what we're, when we hear about this idea of cross-talking, mm-hmm. I think th- a lot of it has to do with this. Yeah. Everybody has, again, living in their own reality tunnel uh, that's not the same as somebody else's and in this it's like that that old uh, uh picture you know uh, where where somebody draws a nine or a six and somebody stands here so that's a six well you know you're seeing a nine no it's a six but your perspective is nine my perspective is a six and that's really where we are yeah. today yeah. is that we're not seeing the other side. And part of that is education. Part of that is cultural. I think a lot of it is social media, to be honest. And social media. I think right. it's, it's profiting off of a lot. Creates. It, 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 the algorithms create your own because they want to target what you like. Yes. Well, if we only are exposed to what we like in life, two-year-olds would be eating about ice cream and, and candy the rest of their lives for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. Right? We can't just be exposed to what we like. Yeah. We have to be exposed to the, the objective world around us. That's right. Good or bad. One of the biggest mistakes I've ever made, and I apologize to my stepdaughter who graduated from uh, Godwin High School, is that I moved here to the West End of Richmond in order to put these my stepkids into better schools. Well, where I made a mistake was defining what better school meant and... In my mind, it meant going to a suburban, white, middle-class, rich neighborhood. Well, my stepdaughter was, uh, actually all of them were miserable hmm. because they didn't fit in. And that was a mistake I made. They're, they're half black, half yeah. white, and I made a big mistake, and I had to literally apologize to my stepkids about that. I don't know. I, I think that it's okay to want to do right by your children and to want sure. them to have a better life. And you as an adult, yeah. you can look at dropout and attendance rates and you can look at average college admissions and you can say, you know what? You're going to the better school. But at yeah. the same time, while you're doing that, you can also say, yeah. we need to fix something yeah. systemically yeah. so that schools in general across the state yeah. are treated equally. That's right. And I, I think that this is this is where we get into real trouble politically. And yeah. I, I talked about a friend about this like a couple of weeks back. But it's just something that politicians on both sides, if we actually wanted to fix it, would have to swallow a very bitter pill. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because sure. the Democrats, if we wanted to fix it, ideally what we're going to do is we're going to equalize funding for all schools across the state. Mm-hmm. And we're going to give students choice uh, and consequences for uh, bad mm-hmm. teaching styles and bad education, mm-hmm. right? So uh, it's, we're going to have to weaken the, the teachers' union and maybe do something with charter schools. But then we're also going to have to say, yeah, you know that that really wealthy school where the property tax is super high and there's some really nice homes? 
guess what? You're getting just as much money. Just as, as much as the rich, Richmond, Richmond downtown, public school yeah, downtown, public school. Yep. right? And you say, too bad. That and, is what it and, is, and, yeah. right? But yeah. you're going to, the, the yeah. correct solution involves getting both Democrats and Republicans mad at you, and they're mad at you for good reasons. Yeah, for good reasons. Yes. That's the key. But here's the thing. Right. It's like, yeah. well, again, it's, and I agree 100%. I think that we need, the system, no matter if it's Democrat, Republican, is broken, period, period. Yes. doesn't matter. I mean, Richmond public schools are run by Democrats, as are most public schools, public schools yeah. in big cities. Usually big cities are Democrat uh, own city councils, school boards, mayors yeah. of big, big cities, Chicago, New York, you know, you name it, with exceptions, right? Mm -hmm. So why haven't, isn't this problem solved? Well, the Democrats aren't all, you know, first of all, they have to work within a much broader framework uh, of state money and other issues mm -hmm. where you have to make decisions about where money goes. Yeah. And when you don't have federal aid or state aid, you have to make some tough choices. It's like, well, it's either the police force or the teachers. Well, crime is on the rise. Here you go, police force. Because I have to get reelected and crime needs to go down. So yeah. here's money to the police force, which does what? Reinforce this idea of criminality within certain demographics, especially in the inner city, whereas the education component, which is an integral component that you need to reduce crime yep. and recidivism and high school to uh, prison pipelines, is underfunded because of the complex you know, nature of running cities. So yes. But that's exactly where, that's the conversation that Democrats and Republicans need to be having. And it only can come with support from not just the city, but the state and the federal government to, to have the willpower to enact this type of change. But fundamentally, I think the way we teach, period, needs to be vastly reformed. Oh, yeah. Uh, not just money, not just adding teachers or building bigger schools or technology. It's actually what and how we're teaching I was that needs this, to be changed. I was watching this documentary like about, I think it was like, I think it was either German students that they followed or like Swedish students that they mm -hmm. followed. And like all these kids spoke like four or five yeah. languages yep. and were excelling in math, uh, mathematics and like, mm -hmm. you know, writing, uh, reading comprehension, all these other mm -hmm. things. And they only go to school like three hours a day. Yeah. Almost the entire world is like that, except for, well, the, the entire, I guess, industrialized first world excels at, at and even some third world countries, uh, the education is better. Not that it's better funded, but they teach differently and they teach in ways where yeah. kids are learning, actual learning, not memorizing, memorizing or, or whatever the hell it is we're teaching yeah. uh, in this country. But actual critical thinking skills, applying ideas to real life issues, that's where I think, I mean, most high school graduates have no clue how to do their damn taxes getting out of high school. I mean, fundamental things. I mean, that could be a problem with the tax system. Too. Well, that, I, <laughs> fair enough. Fair, fair enough. Yes, I get that. <laughs> that is maybe is so complicated. Well, but even yeah. still, basic concepts, you know, I mean, when I was uh, taking calculus in college, uh, the, uh, the, I sucked at calculus, mm -hmm. sucked at math throughout my career. I, it was just because it was not taught to me properly. But the one thing I remember from that class is not, 
you know, differential equations or anything like, or how to do any of that. I couldn't tell you how to do that right now without having to look it up and remember. Mm. Um, but, but it was this. The professor said, what's the strongest force in the universe? Everybody's like, I don't know, gravity? Uh, uh. No, it's compound interest. <laughs> and it's like, it, it is. <laughs> Ask anybody with credit card debt. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's compound interest. And it's like, wow, okay. So, yeah, that stuck with me. Hmm. And, and uh, you know, but when you're throwing differential equations to, at me, it's like, I don't understand so the way we teach, how we teach concepts so that people, because math is not an inherently intuitive concept. It's actually very, a lot of it's very abstract, very just, you have to yeah. think in a different way about the world to do complicated uh, higher math. I mean, yeah, one plus one, you got two things, you, put, you know, but when we're talking about the infinity between integers, what does that even mean? You know, between one and two, there's an infinite number, number of, of integers. Yeah. Right. It's infinite. It's like, yeah. wait, huh? Well, so integer. that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's nice. actually like conceptually like you, how, how do you, you know, when you're eight, nine, ten years old, how do you, you can't, you know, but there are ways to teach yeah. these concepts in a way that I think people can get it. Physics being another one, you know, but, but I think, but besides even a STEM, it's, it's also how we teach history and how we teach um, you know, or even languages. language or English yeah, or, or yeah. you know, oh, read this, you know, it's like, yeah, it's great to read the classics to learn. And, but, but, but how, when we look at the end results of mm -hmm. this, me knowing Hamlet, how does that really affect my knowledge about how to live life? I could learn a couple things from it. Sure. But maybe we should focus on some other or, or different way. Of, of doing things. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have the answers. I'm just kind of throwing I, examples out uh, of how our, our educational system is, is not teaching our kids. I think that the most um, troubling for me thing for me is the number of people that I've met who are smart people that don't enjoy yeah. reading sure. for fun yeah, at yeah. all. Oh, nobody right? does that anymore. By the and way. I'm just kind of like social media once again has killed people reading books. Why? Yeah. Like that, that is a, I feel like that's a cultural failing. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I have a lot of friends that have gone to law school. I've had a lot of people go through law school and they come out the same, mm -hmm. but I have a lot of friends that have gone through law school. They came out a lot worse and mm -hmm. a lot more jaded and angry yeah. and yeah. also indebted too. Oh yeah. And so, but I've never seen anyone go through law school and then come out a better person for it at the other end. They're either the same or, or they're worse. worse. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, Just I, as I, I believe that. I mean, you know, I, I don't know a whole lot of lawyers in my personal life, but I can totally see how that would be true because, you know, you're either going to learn a lot about, holy shit, everything's fucked up and, uh, you know, and, and we're not going to be able to, eh, there's no solution. We're, we're done. We're lost. As a, race, <laughs> as a human species, we are done. And there's those that are like, I'm just out to make a buck, so I don't care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, and again, it's one of those things where if you're a good person to begin with, you're going to be good no matter what you believe, no matter what you're, you know, but if you're going to be a bad person, you're going to use whatever to yeah. be a bad person. Lawyers can be good or bad. Yeah. Politicians, mostly bad, but could be good. They could be. <laughs> could be. Someday. You know, they could. <laughs> but probably not. But a lot of times they're not. Yeah.
And so, you know, it's, and, and you know, from an atheist, I, I usually chalk that up to good people. Yeah, and it's an old, and I forget who was the original quote, but, you know, good people will do, will be, will do good deeds. Evil people will do evil deeds. But for good people to do evil deeds, sometimes it takes religious beliefs. Or you can even extrapolate that to any belief system, just a belief system that forces you to think you're doing good, but you're not hmm. in reality. Um, and that's the way a lot of atheists see things like uh, the abortion issues or the anti-gay issue is, is from that perspective. That we know that Christians are want to do good or want to be good, at, at least before Trump. <clears throat> you know, <laughs> now it's like, I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> But yeah. you know, but 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 let's not generalize every Christian, right? Let's let's look at the let's ones have this that, discussion yeah. after November. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? That's gonna be. A, yeah. Oh. What do you? Yeah. Okay, we're, we're we're running out of yeah, time. Yeah, are we? Okay. But yeah. but what do you? My personal feelings on this are, I think my I should maybe this I should say this. My worries about this election yeah. are that it's going to be contested. Yeah. It's not going to be a civil war. It's going to be like a civil war light. Where, but like a non-violent like a, civil war. Like a yeah. diet civil yeah. war. Like yeah. a diet Dr. Pepper civil yeah. war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tastes more like real civil war. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not. It's, it's not going to be a real civil yeah. war. But then, And then while that's going on and our eye is off the ball, Russia or China is going to make their move on like Crimea or like Taiwan. Oh, or they've already. Whatever. <laughs> they've already just been doing be that. Like, they're gonna be like, Russia and Crimea already, and, and China and Taiwan already. You mean East China? What are you talking about? Yeah. That's that's always been a part of China. I don't know yeah. what you're talking yeah. about. Exactly. You no, know, totally. Or, I, I, yeah. And 100%. and it's it's just like the whole mm -hmm. the whole election process in this country is just so. It's already being set up to be yeah. a shit show. I don't know if you saw. Yeah. The uh, debate. I, um, I I changed it at nine go before ahead. you go, but I went nine thirty. Uh, my wife's like, let's watch the debate. I'm like, nope. I refuse. It's going to be a, and excuse my language for your podcast, but it's a shit show. It's going to be a shit show. We already know it's going to be a shit show. I don't want to watch it. So we're watching a Netflix show, actually a pretty funny show. And what are you watching? Oh, it was the, uh, indes uh, oh man, indestructible. The unbreakable commitment. Oh yeah. yeah. Unbreakable. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. About the, the, yeah, yeah. the, From the, the more, more lady, the yeah. mole ladies that yeah. were in a cult and they, you know, they get out and she decides. Yeah. Anyways. That so one. you're watching unbreakable Kimisha instead yeah. of the debate. Like a saint, so, the human yeah, being. Because, you know, it's funny and we're enjoying it yeah. and it's great. And I'm, you know, we're both, and it's rare that me and my wife actually agree on a show. <laughs> so we're like, this one we both find funny and we're both up nice. and watching it. And we're sort of like, you know, we're, we're sort of binging on it, you mm -hmm. know. And it's like, oh, it's 930. And I was like, you know, all right, fine. Let's, let's just see. Turned it to the debate. I'm watching it. <laughs> Not even... Three minutes, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I thought this was going to be. And back to, you know, unbreakable kinship. You know, it was, and I got on it where uh, Trump, I, literally I turned it when they were having the, the mask discussion and, and Trump just mocking Biden for wearing his mask everywhere he goes and he's always got the mask on. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, no, that's, 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 yeah, I, 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 this is exactly what I was expecting. And, and, and Biden looking very frustrated, <laughs> you know, trying to, yeah. And then, uh, and then the next day I went on Facebook and saw all the highlights. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what yeah. I thought. What was not surprising 
which should be surprising, but it's no longer surprising, was the fact that uh, Trump pretty much gave instructions and a thumbs up to the Proud Boys and the white supremacy uh, community. Be- meaning, like, he literally sent them a message. Yeah. A, a very loud and clear message that was not misspeak. It was not. That was stand, stand back, stand up and stand back. And stand by, I think. Or stand by. Yeah. Meaning, you know, that's a message. I mean, um, the yeah. last time that I heard standby was on yeah. an airport airplane. Yeah. And it was, they're just people waiting. Waiting. Just you wait till for, for my signal. Turn. That's right. For your turn. Just hold back now because of the elections. Yeah. We want to win this and then we unleash. Ugh. That's the way I took that based on not just that statement, but on his entire historical <laughs> record as president oh. and even before um, coddling with white supremacists uh, it's he's done this before and he does and, and even his, Cohen his former attorney and fixer said he speaks like a mob boss meaning he says things that send messages to people and that's done purposely hmm. that's what Cohen I mean yeah. who yeah. worked closely with him and he goes and I was one of the people that would then be the The fixer. That's why they call him the fixer. Trump would blink with his left eye instead of his right eye. That means go do that. Well, that that's exactly how why we could never uh, arrest mob bosses because we could never connect them to the crimes, even though they were the ones calling the shots. It's very similar. And Cohen came out and said this during the uh, you know the 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 investigation that led to well didn't even lead to impeachment. It was the I mean, it was impeachment, yeah. but it uh, well, it, it but, but the investigation itself from uh, the the special counsel ended up nowhere, even though it was it was pretty clear. I mean, I think it was botched investigation somewhat, but, and then you know, but yeah, that's what he does. He sends messages, and he and he and and what I don't understand is how good-hearted Christians, those who are not racists, who are not kid stand behind a man like him uh, to me just boggles my mind and the question that I have is well maybe I was wrong about Christians not they're all bad <laughs> you know I know they're not all bad but yeah the ones that are still supporting him at this point if you're still supporting Trump in my opinion you are one of those racists he's speaking to I don't know I can but so I don't, don't know how else to rationalize this. <laughs> now, I, I don't know what, what I'm going to do I, I may mm-hmm. not vote at all or I may may yeah. uh, lodge a for, protest vote but f- the people that I do know that are it's all about abortion I know 100%. I know percent they're like I know he's a bad man I know God can use bad men to do good things and yeah. he's already put <laughs> I have three a big justice, problem with that. With that, that three justices on yeah. the court that that are going to end abortion, and that's literally all they care about. I know, I know, and that's I and I know that, and I, I that think it's that's a single wrong. issue. Yeah. I think it's wrong. The way I, I like to describe a lot of political parties are, uh, if you're doing the the right thing but for the wrong reason, mm-hmm. that's that for me describes the Democrat Party. And if the you, ends if, justifies, and if you if means. you're and if you're doing the wrong thing, but for the right reasons, that's probably the Republican Party. But either way, but it doesn't matter. Here's the thing: yeah. it's like you, you need to do the right thing for the right reason. Right. Otherwise, that, that that's otherwise, sort of where I'm. They're both. Yeah. they're both bad. Yeah, like, and that's, it's very yeah, bad. Yeah. And like, if you do the right thing for the wrong reasons, you're going to do it so poorly that you may as well have not done it. And if you're going to do the wrong thing for the right reasons. You're just going to make good people look bad. 
So like you need to actually have these in line. Yeah. And as like, a moral Christian, well, not even a moral as a moral person, period. Take abortion, you know, as just one of many issues in this country right now. I mean, one of yeah. like thousands of controversial issues. If you allow that one single issue to dictate normalizing what we have been seeing normalized in this country, which is part of it, the erosion of democracy and uh, uh, checks and balances and the media, whether you believe in the media or not, it's still an independent check on yeah. power. Then you got to ask yourself, is ending abortion really worth the rest that's going to come along with it? And, and if that's the case, then, you know, and that's a question that you got to answer yourself because that's what's happening. It's yeah. not like you're going to get an anti-abortion Congress, whatever, uh, but that also is going to follow very positive. No, we're, we're getting abortion being used and weaponized yeah. to pursue a much darker agenda. And that is one of, you know, continued capitalist oligarch inequity and selfishness and, and, Religion isn't being used as a weapon in the political world. It's been not just politicized. It's been weaponized. But it's, but it's almost always been that way. Yeah, of it's, course. But people, that doesn't make it ever. People right. in power, yeah. they'll use whatever convenient yeah. ideology or religion or belief mm -hmm. system or whatever they can grab. Well, it's, it's, and it's, it's gun rights it. is another example. You know, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Then you use whatever they can to justify. Yeah. Not but, just getting it. But power, that's where Christians, right? I think, Christians or even... Second Amendment rights supporters, if we don't even want to talk, we don't want to generalize. Anybody that, because the NRA, if you're a member of the NRA, it's the same thing. You're going to vote party line. Hmm. And no matter what other consequences there, it's your single issue single voter issue is gun rights. And you're going to vote for a Republican every time, no matter how badly that may impact your own wallet or your own, your own freedom. freedoms or That's whatever. Right. It's yeah. because of that single issue. Is that really the best way to approach politics from a voter standpoint? I don't think so. No, I don't think uh, so either. And that's, I think, but that's where we are. I think we can, we can definitely both agree on that. And that is single, being a single issue voter yeah. is, is not a healthy place to be. No. And it just feels like right now with our political system, we're being forced into positions like that, yeah. right? Where it's like, you, you can you can have Coke or you can have Pepsi. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I want water. It's like, you don't get water. You yeah. get Coke or you get Pepsi. Right. Like, can I have at least Diet Coke? <laughs> no. <laughs> Full no. sugar. Not even the cane sugar stuff. It's going to be corn syrup. <laughs> That's right. Oh. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Give me a Pepsi. Fine, you know? <laughs> I'll, take a, I'll take a Fresca. Take a yeah, fresca. right. Yeah. No, I mean, but that's the way. And yeah. this is an argument I have with my friends all the time, liberal friends who, because I have friends who are on the progressive side of things who are like, you don't get our vote, Democrats. And yeah. here's why you don't get our votes. And they are like, it's, it's the 95 it's, thesis. They're it's just, the entire system. It doesn't, we're not Democrat. And that's, then my Democrat friends are like, why can't we unite? And I'm like, you don't understand where they're coming from. And again, yeah. it's a crosstalk because liberals are like, oh, vote blue no matter who, because we got to get rid of Trump and get rid of fascism, which is true. I agree with that. But what they're not understanding is that these progressives who, you know, the Bernie people, yeah. you know, 
are not Democrats. They are a new, it's a new thing. It's not liberalism in a classical sense. It is a whole entire new philosophy that melds social socialistic capitalism and, and, and social democracies. And, and what centers around all of it is equity and equality is the, the literal centerpiece of all of these progressives agenda. And they see the Democratic Party as nothing more than just another notch in the old system that promotes and, and continues to perpetuate inequality and inequity, you know, in the socioeconomic and political uh, realm. So that's why they're like, no. And, and so I, and I'm telling a lot of my liberals, like, no, you guys don't understand. These people, <laughs> they're not just, you know, they're like, let it all burn to the ground. Because some of them literally have told me this. I had a conversation with a friend of mine, a black man, who told me, no, I want to see it burn to the ground because that's the only way we can finally rise out of the ashes, so to speak. And I'm like, that's an interesting perspective, but at what cost? <laughs> you know, it's like, you, you understand what you're saying here. Well, because <laughs> here's what, what terrifies me about that position. And I think there's, I think honestly, the vote for Donald Trump was that same attitude, yeah. but on the right, but on the right, right, right. Where yep. it's like, absolutely. They think that the courts yeah. aren't working and they aren't, they think that Congress isn't working and it isn't. Mm -hmm. And they think that the executive branch is crazy yeah. and shouldn't, shouldn't have as much power it mm -hmm. is, as it does. And they're right. And sure. they think that the, the media yeah. has been monopolized by like three or four corporations. And sure. It, yes, has. it has. And right. so they're like, and, and here's the funny thing. Progressives also believe this. Yes, yes. It's the horseshoe concept of politics yeah. where when you, it's like you almost meet at the top, but the only thing separating is maybe some fundamental key issues. But yeah. at the end of the day, the, we believe pretty much. Yeah. Uh, I, I yeah. wrote a blog yeah. and I'll send you the article, but I, I actually, I'm trying to find out a better political mapping rather mm -hmm. than just this two-dimensional model of it. Yeah, it's, um, it's, yeah. But uh all that said, it's kind of like left and right both kind of are so frustrated mm -hmm. with with the way things are that they yeah. want to burn it to the ground, yeah. but they don't understand just how how much work and, it and, takes to just and what keep what the are the costs on. of doing that? That's like right. I, you know, it's like throwing away the baby with the bathwater, right? Yeah. I, I think that both extremist sides, you know, want to you know and see it burn to the ground, and and I think. I think we're well on our way to doing that. I, yeah. If you, right now, if you were to honestly ask me, uh, what do you think of the American democratic experiment? I'll say it's a failed system. It's a failed experiment. But that's salvageable. I would if say, we, that's right. If we put our minds to so it. So you talked about science earlier as it has some self-correcting mechanisms yeah. in it. And I, the hope yeah. is that our democracy has some self-correcting mechanisms built into we it. We hope. But when you know what those self-correcting mechanisms are and you work actively to dismantle them, yeah. then or, it gets scary. Or you rely on Congress to implement them. Well, well that's part of the... <laughs> that's part of the... The problem, right? We don't have any solutions here, I guess. We just have problems, so. <laughs> we solve nothing in these two hours, except for that we agree on a lot of things and we disagree on some. <laughs> Welcome to American politics. <laughs> no, but you know what? I had a great conversation. No, I appreciate it. And yeah, It was great. Yeah, it was cool hanging out with you. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do it again. Special thanks goes out again to Larry for joining me today on the show. And before we go, I just wanted to leave you with a quick thought that I mentioned earlier at the start of the show, and that is this. 
Just because you disagree with someone, that doesn't mean that you need to argue the point with them every time, at all times. It's almost always a good idea to listen first, ask questions, and then pray before giving your response. Regardless, thank you for joining me today in this little social experiment. To continue the conversation, check out our app and connect with one of our volunteers, or invite someone in your circle of friends to have a God-centered discussion, and subscribe to the podcast, which should continue rolling out episodes each month. Special thanks this month goes out to DG Home Advisor Fam, Bakalu Guy 2, and Join the Faith for leaving us a review on the Apple Podcast Store. If you like what you heard, please be sure to recommend us to a friend and give us a positive review on the store. It really helps people find the show. And as a bonus, I'll read a shout out to you in the next episode. And finally, if you're able to, please consider supporting the ministry financially. Up until the end of October, we have a special matching opportunity where all donations can be triple matched up to $2,500. And we're already more than halfway to our goal. So please check out our donate page on the website and prayerfully consider adding this ministry to your end of year giving. As a bonus, Coffee with a Christian is a registered 501c3 and all donations are tax deductible. Thanks again for checking us out. May God bless you and Christ be praised.